Thanks for listening to the Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. You can contact the show at twitter.com forward slash dwgroovecast and through Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Weekly Groovecast. Good evening. I am warning you right now, if you touch my drums, I will stab you in the neck with a knife. Ain't a fucking. Ain't a fucking. Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't want you to play it, but lower it. Are we going to strain out? No, we had a problem. I mean, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Nice. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, guys. Hope you had a great holiday season. Work was abundant. And uh, here we are, man, ready to tackle a new year, a new calendar year. I'll tell you, I'm ready, man. I was I was sweating New Year's Eve. But, man, let me tell you, I'll take the gig that I had any old day of the week, sir. Rub it in. He was done at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, I was feeling like a million bucks Sunday morning now. Let's move on. <laughs> well, Happy New Year's, everybody. I hope every, like John said, I hope everybody had a great holiday season. We did. We had a, uh, a, a nice, restful, yet prolific holiday season, and we're, we're glad to be back with you here in 2017. Uh, as we spoke last year, we are going to have some nice new surprises for you guys, but not today. Don't rush us. No. We got to collect our thoughts and such. <laughs> no, but we we do have some some uh, nifty things coming to you guys here in in the very near fe- near future. So uh, please stay tuned, and as always, stay in touch with us. We appreciate you guys reaching out to us. Uh, the old Twitter feed has been a blowing up, John. I love it. Yeah, I'm always having like little red numbers on my phone. Like, wait, <laughs> I'm hoping they're emails for gigs, and they always just happen to be. Comments from Twitter. Joe Bag of Donuts followed you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So thanks for uh, for following us on Twitter, guys. As always, we are at DW Groovecast. For our Facebook page, we are facebook.com forward slash Drummers Weekly Groovecast. And then of course the ever ubiquitous email, Drummers Weekly Groovecast at gmail.com. So thanks for reaching out to us. Uh, you know, John, I thought that for our topic today, that we would not only talk about something different, but also be actually topical regarding the new year. All right. Yeah, you know, everybody likes to get better during the new year, right? We all have some New Year's resolutions. Though short-lived in many cases, it is true. (laughs) What you got for us, John? Sounds like you have something on the tip of your tongue. Oh, no, I don't. My New Year's resolution is, um, I I haven't thought about it. What happened to the thing you were telling me about that you were going to start running like five miles a day carrying two 20-pound weights? No. <laughs> How do you get starting an old soul band out of, uh, what? <laughs> Come on, that's what uh, I told you. You're, you're losing your mind. Uh, well, you know, at least it was it was creative, if nothing else, right? Uh, scary is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> five miles, man! I'm lucky to walk five miles in a week. Well, do I need to broach the topic of practice then? Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, that's that's what we want to talk to you guys about today. Now, before you go to your thinking to yourself, well, those guys have have talked about about practice before, especially like preparing for gigs. Well, this is true, but this is going to be a little different. We're going to talk a little bit today about the conceptual aspect of practice, about the right kind of mindset, and, and also 
pretty much what the mindset of very successful musicians and just very successful people have in general when it comes to practice. So we're going to, you know, tackle that topic today because, I mean, again, you, if you think about it for a minute, you guys wouldn't even really be listening to this, uh, you know, unless there was some modicum of self-improvement that you're trying to get into. I mean, it's certainly not from the comedy aspect of this, John. No. Sorry. Yeah, but we know we know that everyone would like to get better, and that's that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the aspect of of practice and getting better, and just the the mental headspace of what it takes. Now you know, back to the comedy <laughs> with this subject, I, I I could very quickly <laughs> become the Louis C.K. of the drum world. I'm going to be so brilliantly funny in talking out the side of my neck about <laughs> practice. So I apologize up front, but I might have some good insight on why you should from a different perspective. So there. Well, let me say this. The thing that kind of perked my ears up on that is you said Louis C.K. on there. <laughs> so if this thing kind of takes the form like I'm thinking that it's going to, we should just go ahead and take this thing off, put it behind a paywall and charge five bucks, right? Because I, <laughs> yeah. I want to see a million bucks show up in my PayPal account overnight. Yeah, but if, if, we, if we ended up doing a Louis K. inspired <laughs> podcast, it would have parental guidance <laughs> stickers all over it. I, I like that you called him Louis K. that time, man. <laughs> Is that what I said? John's still scuffling from last night. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I said Louis K. Playback, please. We'll play play, yeah. But it, anyway, guys, first, I want to talk about some of the obvious stuff. And I mean, the obvious stuff are the things that, yeah, we know, you know, that, that practice is, be, is beneficial in certain ways. But but let's go ahead and, and just, you know, we're going to state certain things that, that we should do whenever we practice. And again, we're talking about not necessarily about gig preparation, although this can fall under that same umbrella. But we're talking about also things like the dreaded rudiments. Right, John? Maybe. Right. Okay. I got nothing. <laughs> maybe a little reading, maybe working on some styles, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I want to throw out there that I was not a huge believer in until, say, like 10 or 12 years ago. I'm saying it right now. Practice everything with a metronome. Good advice. It really, really uh, has proven with many people to be uh, quite beneficial. I mean, there's very few exceptions, man, that you're going to – you know, that you're going to play something that, that doesn't require at least good time. I won't say metronomic time, but at least good time. I mean, unless right. you're, unless you're doing the old Famadou Don Moye thing, uh, you know, I mean, it's, you pretty much, I, I will sit down and, and practice rudiments to a metronome. I mean, well, in this day and age yeah. to having a metronomic reference is pretty much standard fare. So it's just, great in regards to practice to have that reference because you're going to be using it in a million settings so it's it's just good 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 practice uh addition and, and routine for sure man i i'm telling you it's it's the old metronome it's what's for dinner you know everywhere you go whether it be live or studio you're going to have to play to a metronome from time to time. So why not get used to it in the practice room? Yeah. So sounds obvious, but just do it. I mean, metronomes are everywhere. So turn the thing on. Agreed. Now, this next one I'm going to mention is one that I learned from a very, um, we'll just call him a demonstrative teacher that I had when I was in undergraduate school. And, when you're practicing something, especially something new, make sure that you practice it slowly. And I mean slowly. And if you are reading it, like in other words, if it's like a, say, a snare drum piece or if it's a, any kind of an etude, whether it be a, like a percussion keyboard etude or any kind of even drum set piece, 
one of the big things that is incredibly beneficial is practice all this stuff observing accents and dynamic markings okay Mm -hmm. now i used to subscribe back in the day john to the whole thing of like let me just get the notes under my hands and then i'll go back and then i'll add the accents and then i'll go back and then after that then i'll add the dynamics well what i discovered much to the delight of this demonstrative teacher is that you end up learning it wrong two or three times until you get to the point to where all the musical elements are being practiced and then you learn how to hear it right so basically what ends up happening is you go through and you learn it wrong one time then you go back and add something else and it makes it even more difficult because you've been hearing it incorrectly all those times Mm -hmm. so the advice i want to give everybody when you're when you're learning a piece that has all these different elements in it written in it take your time go slowly learn to hear it correctly with all of the musical elements in place and again those musical elements would be all the dynamics and all of the accents and if there's stickings written out all of that as well don't just get the notes under your hands first you're actually working against yourself i mean really it it, if you think about it it seems absurd that you would spend time correcting your mistakes and misinterpretation when you could just sit down and focus on mm-hmm. all that is the uh, the groove or you know parts you're trying to accomplish uh, trying to interpret and it's, it's just kind of backwards like wait you're gonna you know make make mistakes and misinterpret and then you got to go back and correct it it's kind of like you know a mechanic working in a car and doing it wrong the first time and going back and fixing it and, and but then he learns how to do it it's like wow man true well i think i think some of that falls under that weird uh concept of like well, I'll get this thing done, and it's, it's actually taking less time. Okay, I'll at least get to, you know, get it under my hands first, you uh, know. And you don't really realize that what's happening is you're having to relearn it several times. Well, know? I know in my case, um, you know, I really struggle with Latin stuff, and it's not something I'm driven to really get together. But inevitably, from time to time, you're kind of thrown that vibe uh out on a gig and the the thing that really helped me was doing exactly that where i look at a written out groove Mm -hmm. and let my limbs fall in the places slowly and just kind of let my brain catch up to my limbs because oftentimes and sometimes it can be the opposite your brain's ahead of your limbs Mm mm-hmm but slowing down gives the opportunity for one or the other to decipher and pull together. Yep. And so I'm a huge proponent of like painfully slow when it comes to things that don't naturally fall under my hands and feet. Um, you know, breaking it down where, oh, that and of two is a kick and a rim shot. Or yeah. You know, cross stick, and and just see not only visually seeing it, but then by rote almost learning it. It, it, it it's worth taking that, the getting under your hands thing. You nailed it, man. It, what purpose is that serving if it's not correct? Yeah, again, I said I said I think it just feels like it's it's you feel like you're kind of cheating a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like oh yeah, I'll just kind of get this under my hands, and you know, and it'll move quicker after that. And again, you know, like I said, it's just, it's a little bit of faulty logic. And it's something, of course, that teacher that I was talking about knew all about that. But it's sometimes hard to impress that upon like a 19-year-old. Yeah, I could see that. I think it's it's a a matter of um, sometimes just learning the hard way. Right, and and then also trying to appeal to your logical side. If you sit and think about it for a minute, it makes perfect sense. But a lot of times, yeah. if you don't want to take enough time to actually, you know, listen to somebody that's done it, you're not going to think have enough time to think for yourself. A lot True. of times, you know, humans, you know, like shortcuts and yeah. the easiest path and all that. We're just kind of wired to embrace that, and oftentimes yeah. it 
fails us. Yeah. John, you ever hear me say that little phrase, practice what you need to practice, not the stuff you already know? Yeah, that rings a bell. Let me tell you, man, I'm not going to lie to you. That that was a very close runner-up to your phrase of the year that was on the best of 2016. I had people that were asking me to, to use that one. But you won out by the fluffy cloud. You know, man, everybody <laughs> loves a jaded old bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Well, but the next point that I was going to make, is one that I have to tell students all the time. And again, that is practice what you need to practice, right? Challenge yourself to practice the things that you sound bad on. Because the the old the old adage that 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 comes up in, in these lessons when, you know, I tell these to, to students is I always I always go, So how long did you practice? You know, like daily. I go, Well, I practiced an hour a day. And I know, know well and good that if you practice an hour a day, this thing that I assigned you that you sound sad on would sound like a million bucks, right? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, did you really practice an hour a day? And I said, or did it happen like this? Well, you know, you sit down at like noon and you look at your clock and you go, okay, I'm going to sit down and practice for an hour. Then you sit down and practice for literally like 45 seconds and then the thing that you want to work on is just not falling right under your hands it's not sounding good and then all of a sudden you start jamming start playing something that sounds good something that's home base right then all of a sudden the phone rings okay then pick it up and talk on that and then get back it's like okay 15 minutes in all right here we go i'm going to buckle down now you sit down you buckle down play for 30 seconds it's still sounding bad then all of a sudden here we go we're jamming again then all of a sudden it's like Man, I am starving. I'm going to go make a sandwich. And then you go in and make a sandwich. Then you come back and it's like, okay, it's time to buckle down. Oh, my God, I got four texts on my phone. And so you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, man. One o'clock rolls around, and then all of a sudden you've practiced a grand total of two and a half minutes. I'll be generous and say two minutes and 45 seconds. All the other stuff is just a bunch of mess. So you have to buckle down. You have to concentrate. You have to be honest with yourself. And you have to really practice the things that need to be practiced. And and let me tell you, I used to be incredibly guilty of that. And then, you know, when you realize it, it's, again, it's pretty obvious. But, you know, just one of those things that everybody needs to be aware of, that time keeps going, whether you're answering texts, emails, phone calls, making sandwiches, whatever. You got to be focused on what you're doing and practice the things that need to be practiced. Yeah, I agree. I, I am so guilty of all of those things. Uh, and uh, you might want to add like Halloween-like candy in there. You know, probably go get some chocolate or something. But all all, all that aside, um, I still will go down and like inevitably end up playing a medium swing groove or yeah. some funky little thing that I've played for a thousand years. And it feels good, and it tells all those voices in my head to shut up. It's very appeasing, and you know, so it's. But it, it, I inevitably don't accomplish much because of that. And the, uh, my, I guess, I guess if I really am put the screws are put to me, and like yeah. I got to learn something that's a little challenging, um, you know. I'm a little better, but it's almost more pride than accomplishment. Like, oh, I got to learn this odd time tune mm-hmm. for Tom Gross, who's like, you know, the second coming of Frank Zappa. And I got to learn this song here, and, I, and I, I'll buckle down and do it. Why does but it, Tom's name keep coming up I on the show? He's brilliant, and I work with him. And I, I, the only time in the last 20 years that I spent significant time in the practice room Mm -hmm. and benefited from it by being focused was when he asked me to play uh, a rash of new gigs at the time where he did some of his old stuff and then he wrote a bunch of this just really challenging odd time fusion-esque stuff and it's just not my wheelhouse at all but i took i took on the challenge you know and and unfortunately i didn't build from that in my practice routine but being capable of it so what 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 was it was it i I didn't want to embarrass myself 
more than likely, but nonetheless got it done. Um, so my point is that, you know, if you really are um, into something, it's pretty it's pretty easy to, to yeah. focus and accomplish. But the real challenge is when you're not necessarily into it, which you touched on earlier, and that can be – Yeah. I, I, I fail at that too often, you know, like how do we get past that, Phil? Oh, we're going to talk about that, John, in just oh, a few minutes. Good. Well, but – one a couple of other just quick little bullet point things before we jump into that okay. I want to talk about is I that apologize. oh no that's quite all right that's what we're here for um, I am a huge proponent in tracking your practice through notebooks you know through charting whatever you know something that that will give you a written record especially it's, it's good it's a good visual thing to have in front of you now let me say this um there's a couple of ways you can approach this and i've i've done it both ways and like one way is this and i still do it with my students today i will have students uh bring me a blank notebook and i will write their lesson plans down in it from week to week right it's what one of my teachers did with me right and what it does is it's, it serves multi-purposes. The most obvious ones is, are, are, well, when the student gets, gets home, they can see the assignment in the notebook, and then when the student brings it back next week, especially if you're a busy teacher, you know you can see what they have been working on, so you don't have to rely on remembering this, and, and the teacher doesn't have to rely on remembering. It's a visual record, right? But the other thing is this, is it certainly allows you to track your accomplishment over certain periods of time. And, and that can be anything from like different method books you're working on to conceptual things. Now, the other thing that I like that can be slightly different is if you're working on something that is not necessarily out of a book, like out of a method book. Let's say you're just working on, on, on one of John's favorite things, rudiments. You're working on goof-a-diddles, right? Goof-a-fla-flas, that type thing. Well, you know, one of the best ways you can track how you're doing on that is simply write down different tempos. Like, in other words, this is the rudiment that I'm working on, and this is where I'm at right now. And you can very easily kind of stay organized on what you're working on and then also just track your, your tempo accomplishment till you get to a certain speed that you feel comfortable with. And there you go. You got something kind of in front of your face right there, something that kind of keeps you on track. So I'm a big proponent on that. You know, seeing progress is never a bad thing, that's for sure. Motivation in itself, right? No doubt. Now, here's – I'm going to get on my soapbox. Limit social media and just in general, limit virtually all non-musical technology in the practice room. Mm, good man, stuff. Man, it is a time and creativity vampire. Now, you know what I'm hearing? I can hear it, man. I can hear it. I man, I can hear it coming through Twitter right now. And it's but Phil, John, my metronome's on my phone. Go buy a metronome. They cost Freaking $20. John and I were just talking about that a few minutes ago. You can get a great metronome for almost nothing. That's very true. And it won't beep there you at go. you when someone's trying to bother you. So it's a winner. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a weird phenomenon that I've heard multiple times that we have a bizarre kind of a, a, a dopamine drip that occurs, man, from social media. You know, it's the kind of thing that, that we get addicted to it very easily. You know, we, we love, man, seeing people comment on our Facebook statuses and our, you know, our Twitter, you know, the different tweets that we have. And it's, it's man, it's very addictive, Yeah. you know, to have that kind of thing. And, and man, I'm telling you, it is, it can really get you, it can, it can put, a wrench in the works when it comes to creativity and just trying to accomplish stuff. That's true. Yeah. And you know, even, even on a more primitive level, it, it's social media is voyeurism in a lot of ways too. And it's really yep. hard to put that down. You just, but it also can be dangerous in that you 
comparing yourself to others, you know, people blowing up their schedule and mm -hmm. posting all this and that, and it can get in your head. You don't need that when you're practicing. What's the old saying, John? Comparison is the thief of joy. Right? That's very true. I can speak from experience. Yeah. Well, something that kind of goes hand in hand with the stuff we're talking about, and it also kind of goes back to when we were talking about playing slowly, is overall when it comes to practice and, and working on your craft, working on your art, don't be in a hurry. This is one of those art forms, one of these different practices that you have that cannot be rushed, much like with, again, technology and with different things that we have that provide instant gratification. Just another reason to, to try to steer it clear from as much of that as you possibly can. It takes years and years to be able to hone your craft to get to the point to where you, know, you can be successful working musician. There's just some stuff you can't rush, and this is one of them. Yeah. Great advice. Alan Dawson, it makes me think of something before we move on to this other stuff. Alan Dawson said something one time. There's a there's a audio of him uh, in a lesson, and I believe it's with the great John Ramsey, you know, the teacher up at uh, mm -hmm. Berkeley that we've talked about on the show a bit before. John used to record his, uh, his lessons with him, and they were – they were talking about rudiments, maybe even the rudimental ritual. And I believe John said something to him along the lines of like, man, I've been working on this rudimental thing for like, man, I'm like three lessons in, like three weeks in, all right, and I can't get the tempo above this certain speed. And Alan just said to him, he goes, man, I've been stuck at the tempo that I'm on for three years. I'm just going to let that hang there. That's insane. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you can see somebody that's as accomplished as, as Alan Dawson was, he was still very aware that he would eventually break through that. You know, he stuck at a tempo for three years. I think even more endearing in that story is his willingness to just flat out admit it to. Yeah. That can that in itself can help a student. You know, it's just that's just a great lesson in. Yeah. In uh, Alan, you know, there's I'm sure there's a million stories like that with him. Yeah, yeah, his special his, guy. Yeah, absolutely a special guy. So, now moving forward, we want to talk about some of the conceptual aspects of practice and kind of how you arrive at different things and how you continually get better. That's that's outside of these obvious points that we talked about. And then the first thing I want to talk about, I want to use a little bit of a broad topic, kind of an umbrella topic. And it's a, it's a topic that actually has gotten beaten up a little bit over the last few years. But regardless of the fact that it does get beaten up a little bit, let me tell you, the advice and the actual practice of this is pretty spot on. And I think it's really applicable to musicians because, again, this umbrella topic we're going to talk about can be applied to anything. It could be to being an auto mechanic, it could be being a pharmacist, it doesn't matter. But that term we're going to talk about is deliberate practice. And we've kind of touched on it just a little bit here, but I want to talk about just kind of the basic tenets of deliberate practice. And this deliberate practice is the, again, it's the type of practice that you can do or that you should be doing that will allow you to achieve just new heights it allows you to break through uh plateaus and just really make general accomplishment a lot better and one of the first things that can't be stressed enough is that you need feedback from other players or other teachers in other words being able to to get if you play something for someone and then you get instant feedback on what needs to be fixed then at that time you can fix it i like it next thing john did you hear me mention again something about work on stuff that you need to actually work on yeah yeah shows up again i i just wish you'd talk to someone else for a change <laughs> instead of just hammering me publicly. Well, 
John, I'm just trying to say that if you consistently work on material that's outside of your comfort zone, you're going to have no choice but to get better. That's true. And you just you grow as a musician, you know. Absolutely. So there's not really an argument that has much validity in not challenging yourself to do that. It's scary, though, man. I, I I agree. I, I yeah, especially being older, like, oh, I can't do that. You know, we have you know versus a kid. You know, I see it in my kid. Just, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna do what he does until he figures it out. I, I think what happens a lot of times are that folks get different things that they do and that they already do well. That it gets tied to their personality. Mm-hmm. And to challenge that by doing something new is, again, kind of one of those things to almost admit fault or, or maybe to admit that the stuff that you already do is not good enough. I don't know. I mean, it just seems it seems like uh, illogical that, that you wouldn't think that way. But I don't know. I think that that is something that that is a hang up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of. I, I certainly see that. I also, just from experience, um, going back to that, learning all that material that was really challenging and, you know, certainly out of my wheelhouse in every way, shape, and form, um, there was there was some real satisfaction in, you know, people saying, man, I didn't know you did that or I, I had no idea you could play that. And there's a... That, that, that's something that I, I, even though I was completely out of my mind, frozen in fear with that, I just sort of broke through it and got into it. And I think once you do that, it's incredible what, you know, just a, an, an accomplishment like that, mm-hmm. then you, you, you really, it opens the door to, growing in in uh other aspects of playing but sometimes just a break breakthrough like that makes a huge difference and f- for me it certainly did gave me a newfound confidence and and but talking about you know labeling yourself i always label myself and so to break through it and push on it, it made a big difference and i, I in turn kind of got some other things together so i i can i can only encourage you to take on a challenge like that and just get it done. It is similar to dreading going to the gym, then going and then that basic feeling of well-being, you know, after that. Yeah. It's similar, a great, man. Great analogy. It's very similar. Yeah. You know, some of the more spiritual drummers uh, that I know will will sometimes say that um, they will challenge themselves to play something that they've never played before. And they will say that it sends vibes out into the universe. You know, that it's this kind of thing that, hey, man, I'm, I'm working on new things. I'm exploring new things. I'm trying to get better. And, and one guy I know even says that it gets him new work. I mean, I really, you know, I can't say it doesn't. No one can say that it doesn't. I right. thought that was kind of interesting. It just came off the top of my head. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, so I, I, I'm, I'm past being dismissive of any of that. I think, I think there's. You know, there's a million catchphrases. You get what you put into it, or you right. you get back what you give. And you know, man, there's there's some real valid points to that. Sometimes, like I think certainly, if you're giving truly your best effort to improve as a musician, it's a gift. You know, and and you're honoring that. I think in turn, it's gonna. Uh, you're going to be honored as well. Yeah, agreed. So the next part of this deliberate practice is when you have latched on to something new and you are working on it, you need to repeatedly work on it until you master it. And again, that's another one of those things that 
seems like a lot of times students will work on something and get it just, just to where it's right at the edge of their ability and then want to move on. But you have to be careful that you don't, there's, you have to be careful that you don't get into that or walk that fine line of then when you talk about always working on stuff that you can't do, right? Because you are supposed to, to, to press yourself, but you have to make sure you master that skill before you move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. right? So the next part of this deliberate practice thing is make sure that the new material that you're working on, that you repeat it enough and that you work on it enough until you get it mastered. After it's then mastered, then it moves into what we'll call like the maintenance bin, right? In other words, that you then maintain it, but then you move on to the next challenge, right? The last part of this, which is going to segue into our next part, is I like to have people create a routine, a practice routine. And what I mean by that is, is if you can figure out a time of the day that you consistently practice best at and then make it a habit, then it works to your advantage from the standpoint of you know, like for example, at 11 a.m. is your best time to practice, that every morning at 11 a.m., that's where you need to be. You need to be in the practice room. You need to be working. That's your time to work on this stuff. So create a routine. I think that's very valid, and I think it's something that that is an excellent part of this deliberate practice axiom. Yeah, that, that always seems to serve the focus and and the uh, growth well to have a, a pretty consistent routine. I mean, we talk about the gym as a perfect example of, yeah. you know, people who have a regular, like, get up at 6 and go to the gym and then go to work, you know, they... They, they, I think they're they're pretty successful in accomplishing their goals. Yeah, yeah. Two thirty is a good time for me. Is gets, it gets all those people out of the when way? When the sun's real hot, sun's nice and hot. Nobody else is in the gym except people that don't have jobs and me. And then you could say that's the same thing almost. You're but. being redundant. <laughs> <laughs> it is January. Yeah. Now, John, earlier temporarily unemployed. <laughs> what of it? Yeah. Don't judge. Earlier in the podcast, you mentioned a little something about how do you achieve this focus, you know, and how do you achieve this kind of mental acuity to get to the point to where you can, you know, do this practice and that it's this, you know, a lot of people feel that it's this kind of a nebulous thing, right? Well, I've been thinking about it a lot, sir. Been reading up on it a little bit. And I feel like that I've got a few tips that I can kind of throw out there. Do tell. Yeah. Well, the way I kind of want to get into it is talk a little bit about determination, perseverance, passion. Those are all those are all like these great kind of terms that we like to throw on people who do well, who are successful, you know. But one of the things in particular that I want to talk about is have you ever heard people go, man, you've got to find your passion and you've got to follow it, mm-hmm. right? I think that's a little bit weird, man, because, I mean, I- I'll tell you this. I'm going to be just blatantly honest with you. When I first started playing drums, when I got my first set of drums, it was not necessarily one of those things where I sat down and, and then it was just kind of like, I'm going to spend eight hours a day on it. You know, mm-hmm. I had to kind of cultivate that a little bit. And yeah. right. And so what I want to kind of impart upon everybody first when it comes to this topic is that to be able to to cultivate your passion is significantly more important than just finding it. You know, I, I, th- I think there are very few people out there that just stumble upon whatever job or creative outlet that they've got and then that's just it that's just the end of it oh i found my passion i think you have to try some things you know and and so what this means in relation to practice okay is you know yes yeah, sitting down and just hammering out some single strokes if think to yourself that if you don't find that the most enthralling thing on the face of the planet, that you don't have any passion for playing drums. That's not the case at all. 
Mm-mm. It's just not. I mean, you don't have to love every single thing about the entire process to have passion and love the entire process, right? In other words, there are certain aspects of practice and certain aspects of even gigging that you may not love, but it's the entire package. So I think everybody should keep that in their mind. You can liken that to, you know, a doctor. Yep. You eight years of insane. So, well, I mean, you know, I'm sure they don't love, you know, sitting in the ER seeing the most insane things you can imagine, you know, in their mm-hmm. residency. But their passion for where they end up is is really good. I mean, it, it, uh, in all walks of life, it, it really pertains to that. And, you know, don't feel alone about it. You know, and don't don't get hung up on that one little thing if you're, you know, trying to accomplish the goal of being a complete player, that that it's easy to focus on a negative thing like that. Oh brother, you sing quite a lovely tune there. Yeah. I was just gonna talk about that. All right. Yeah. I mean I feel like that we are hardwired as human beings to maximize negative emotions and just negative things that happen in our lives. And they have a great tendency to overshadow the wonderful things or the positive things that happen in our lives. I think it's just a, a natural human tendency. And, and if you wanna if you wanna wax psychological here on this entire thing, it could very possibly go all the way back to the times that we were walking around in loincloths and we had to be careful that when we walked around a corner that a grizzly bear wasn't going to be there and if it if it did happen and we survived the attack it imprinted this survival sort of of negativity on our brains right and basically it just maximized that hey look this really bad thing happened and you always remember it but all of these great things that might happen to you 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 just kind of you enjoy them for the moment and you kind of pass them off but in today's modern world we don't necessarily have to worry about walking around a corner and getting mauled by a grizzly bear or a saber-toothed tiger but i think our feeble little brains have not fully evolved enough to be able to tell the difference between I don't really like practicing, you know, triple paradiddles and therefore I'm just a, you know, negative Nancy and therefore I have no passion for this and it's just an awful thing. Mm. It's very similar to to the same kind of of overall brain reaction and chemical release we have when we are, you know, experiencing something potentially really life-threatening or emotionally challenging. Well, look, all that's well and good, but, you know, I have empathy for the loincloth-clad gentleman <laughs> running through a grizzly bear, but I run across continuous sets. So don't belittle the challenges of modern man, okay? <laughs> do those... <laughs> do those continuous... Continu- <laughs> continuous. Do that, that, that's continuous they have long claws and gnarly teeth those continuous sets the bane do. of working musicians existence the grizzly bear of the gigging world you need to let me negotiate your uh performance contracts there your work ah, orders man i'm just i'm making that up no, they don't even ask me they know the answer <laughs> here i'll throw this drum machine disco beat on for for 20 minutes. I'm going to go take a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, the next thing I wanted to talk about was having a purpose to your practice as well as we ramble on on this topic. And what I mean by having a purpose to that is I see students all the time that come to take lessons and I always inevitably ask them, what do you want to do with this stuff, right? Even if they're just kids, you know? And, and, and a great answer is like, hey, I've got some buddies. We play in the basement, and we have a great time doing it. And I'm like, man, that's as good of a reason to take lessons as anything, right? 
It's awesome. It's really what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so what I want to kind of impart on this is don't lose focus when you're practicing of the end result. In other words, sure, you want to get from page 22 to page 23, but you also have to realize that you got to have a purpose for what you're doing to the end game standpoint. Well, hey, look, these are not just these unrelated exercises or this unrelated technique that I'm working on. It actually has a purpose to get me to the point where I can play with other musicians better. And sometimes, man, that absolutely gets lost in the practice aspect of things. You're just trying to get from from one exercise to the next. But you got to have a purpose for it. And you got to realize that it is relating into the overall big picture of actually playing with other musicians. You know, I, I that that reminds me of sometimes when I'm like, you know, say I have a gig thrown at me where I got to learn a bunch of things and, uh, you know, trying to go down, trying to get some things under my hand. There might be a few grooves that are a little left to center or whatever and some arrangement stuff or just trying to, you know, transitions that I need to have I'm just not going to play cold. I want to work it out and have it together. Um, sometimes in that's a that's kind of more of my practice is is less technique and rudimental things than that. But you know, shedding tunes or really figuring out an approach or something. But I've had great luck in sometimes I'll just I'll be fried. I like you know three or four tunes. I'm like ah man, I'll put on like a Monty Alexander, Ray Brown, Jim Hall trio record and play along with it and uh, hearkening back to it's all about playing with music but something I enjoy I play along and then get back to it too like you know I, I have some great luck with that and it could be something on occasion you try like you're stuck on something or whatever put it down for a minute go do something you know, you enjoy or go to and come back. And that's something that, that has helped me a great deal. That's one of those interesting things that, that sometimes a productive aside can actually bring focus back. Oh, it does for me. Yeah. Because I'll just get so wrapped up in the, you know, the execution of said tunes that, you know, I'm just kind of just getting a handle on. Yeah. And, you know, it can just be frustrating sometimes or whatever. And that that's a great example and a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to add to it. And again, this is not going to necessarily be something that's totally new to the show because you guys have heard me talk about this before is try to spark some curiosity. And what I mean by that is, is. Think a little bit outside of the box. Do some things, like for example, if you're taking lessons from a teacher, do some things that are not necessarily directly on the page, so to speak. In other words, try to, again, use some of that material. Try to try to figure out some ways that there are practical applications to use it in a musical standpoint. Also, make sure that you are listening to music that reflects the things that you are working on as well. So in other words, just like if you're working on some linear funk, make sure you go out and get some Dave Garibaldi, some Tower of Power, you know? Mm -hmm. Listen to some of these things. In other words, see how that stuff is actually being used. How it's applied. How it's applied in a real-world setting. In context, it can really make a... Yeah. A big difference. It, it it seems like to me it's more prevalent than ever that I have students that will come to me and we'll work on something and they'll go, so where am I ever going to use this? Now, I don't necessarily mind that question because I've got an answer for it, right? Mm-hmm. But it seems like there are certain students that I hear that from all the time. And I'll be like, sometimes I'll say, where do you think that you could possibly use this? You know? And and I know that they haven't really taken any time to like go outside of the lesson and really, you know, look into the practical application of that stuff. It's really important, man, to have some initiative, spark some curiosity on your own end, and try to, to again, 
figure out how some of this stuff is used. Mm-hmm. Figure out practical applications for it. It's easy to, to dismiss things that you're not terribly interested in. It's kind of like, when am I, when am I ever going to use algebra? Yeah. You know, that mindset. Well, I mean, I kind of look at it like you got to do it to graduate. And some things we have to do, you know, musically, we got to kind of figure out and have a handle on that might not be terribly exciting to you. But in the big picture, it, 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 it's it's going to serve you at some point. Yeah. I guess is how I look at it. Absolutely. I mean, you never know when, when you're going to have to call back upon something mm-hmm. that you've worked on. I mean, you might only use it once a year, but I mean, hey, if you use it and it serves the music, that's what we're all about. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So, guys, hopefully some of the stuff we talked about today will kind of give you some inspiration in your practice, give you some organization as well and also this last part we talked about maybe to give you some determination also perseverance some grit all right i'm in now that i've said that john are we gonna go downstairs and you're gonna put me through the ringer bought a new practice pad oh god (laughs) well it's the equivalent of a pants around my ankles (laughs) (laughs) well john we're we're gonna end today's show with a little segment it's gonna be an in memoriam and it's gonna be an in honor of and it's going to be an underappreciated drummer it's gonna be man like three things in one multifaceted multifaceted well over the holidays groovecast listeners you're probably aware that we lost one of the greats I mean, we lost a big one. Day after Christmas, we lost Alphonse Mazan, great jazz and fusion drummer. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about him. Uh, He's going to also kind of fall. John and I decided that he was going to fall under our category of underappreciated drummers as well. So we're going to kind of lump a few things together here on this one. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I want to mention is I was in California, uh, few months ago and i made a stop we'll call it the pilgrimage right absolutely yeah Yeah. when i was in la i made the pilgrimage up to stan and jerry's uh pro drum shop there in hollywood and in just a bizarre set of circumstances i was actually standing at the counter talking with stan and jerry when there was another guy up there talking as well that was actually on the same flight that I was on coming in to LA from Atlanta and one of the topics that came up at that time he mentioned that Alphonse Muzan was actually recently hospitalized and I don't think at that time he knew exactly what it was eventually we all found out that he had a very rare and deadly form of cancer but that's when I first heard about him that was at the end of September and at that time also Alphonse was living in Los Angeles and I think he had been pretty much a long time resident out there at that time that's my understanding yeah but anyway that's that's how I first found out about it and then he passed passed away a few days ago on uh, December the 26th Um, John the first thing I'll say is that I became really aware of him as a player as he was the first drummer that I'm aware of that was in Weather Report back in the very, is it the late 60s or early 70s? Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Yeah. Now, think about that. Zawinul and Wayne Shorter picked him. Good point. We could pretty much just sew it up right there in regards to worthiness of our attention. But, I mean, a legendary gig – you know, very demanding band leaders mm-hmm. on a lot of levels, demanding music, of course. And this guy rose to the occasion and was first in line. That's insanely huge. That's amazing. Yeah, he was also one of those few drummers during that time that was that really was in the experimental aspect of fusion. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, he was on the forefront of that. And when we think of guys like that, we think of like Tony Williams, and Jack DeJanet, mm-hmm. and Cobham. And Muzan has to be mentioned in that that same company as those guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, timeline, ability, all of it. He's He is right there in the in the thick of, of that scene and that development and that direction drumming was going for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's my understanding that he did not stay, um, he did not stay in Weather Report very long. As a matter of fact, um, I believe the next drummer that followed him was probably considered by most people one of the great drummers for Weather Report, and that was Eric Gravatt. Mm-hmm. Man, let me tell you, there's another guy. Not to steal the spotlight from Muzan, but Eric Gravatt, he falls all day under that category of underappreciated drummers. Man, no that doubt. guy was a great. I think I'm I'm pretty sure he's still alive in, in Gravatt. Actually, the last I heard about it was like a prison guard in Minnesota. I know he's in the Minneapolis area. Yeah. I don't know um, if he's playing. I, I'm not sure if he plays, though. I no. I saw something as well about him. Uh, you know, and it mentioned Minnesota and, you know, what what he, they didn't go into much detail about his playing currently, but I think he's still alive. To do a little callback about, we were talking about Tommy Campbell at one time. It's mm-hmm. kind of my understanding that Tommy Campbell did that weird elevated symbol thing with the symbols almost being completely and totally vertical. Eric. That's from an Eric Gravatt thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Eric, um, I, as a matter of fact, I think I saw him do it before I saw it. Tommy had some exposure in the eighties, and yeah, we clearly noticed it. But I remember seeing pictures of Eric um, way back. You know, there was another guy. I don't remember what his name was. He used to play at Jazz Corner. That did that vibe. Yeah, who was that dude? Kind of house drummer for a while. Kermit. Sort of. No. Kermit. It wasn't Kermit. It was it was an older. He's a little bit older. Wasn't Ellington? Was it? Maybe. Yeah. Way up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Alphonse Mazan. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, a couple of other things, John. When I was looking up a little bit of information about his later career, um. The thing that's absolutely it just on the hilarity note, we'll call it, was it said that he was the drummer for Robert Plant during Robert Plant's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Is that wacky or what? I gotta look that up. There's gotta be video of it. You would think either that or some Weisenheimer got into Wikipedia. Said he did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so we I, were talking I'm calling myself out it. on that. Yeah. You know, it's just shocking to me that Donnie Wynn wasn't yeah. the guy. So I'm, I'm, that's really piqued my curiosity. Um, man, the, the thing about Al, Alphonse when I thought about, I saw this. You know, when he passed, there was some, a couple people posted, and there was a email I got about it, and there's this brilliant cast of characters from that time period yeah. that had all these chops and it was definitely more in that we talked about that single note kind of phase mm-hmm. not nearly not really linear right like in in the in the developed sense that it is now you know like the weckle the gospel chops that kind of thing it was kind of a little more primitive a little more raw but he kind of always he he there was an exciting group of players like that uh, one guy that comes to mind is uh, Nard and Michael Walden. Yeah, but Alphonse had that same thing. Like, you no, know, Dennis Chambers kind of has it when he's blowing. Yeah, there's always this underlying pulse and groove that just it just ain't going away. It's a good call. And there's some good call. There's there's some there's a there's three or four guys in that early '70s period that had that thing, and he had it in droves. Yeah, you know, and went on to do plenty of just groove-based things as well. So he was, you know, definitely not not above just laying down a funky thing too. But I, I just that just came to my mind. There was this group of players that yeah. 
I was always fascinated with in that that underlying groove that I'm always obviously attracted to. Right. So even in its heady presentation, there was some meat to kind of grab onto with those guys. Underlying pulse, man. Yeah. Time was always there, regardless of what was being played over top of it. Yep. Yeah. He was also a businessman, John. He had a uh, a long-term record label, Tenacious Records. Yeah. What kind of stuff was it? Uh, it tenacious. Tenacious. Just that's it. Yeah. Like, whatever it is, it's got to be tenacious. <laughs> I don't I, care. I wonder if Tenacious D was on that uh, would that be a label. good fit. Would be a good fit, right? Um, he, he uh, I, I had forgotten that he played a lot with McCoy Tyner, too. Yeah. I just, just in the research. Did some work and, with Miles. And it's sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. he forgot he played with McCoy Tyner. Like, I, I never really, like, delved deep into McCoy's personal catalog yeah um you know i know there's a couple elvin records i grabbed because it he played on but Mm -hmm. um that's a there's another real serious endorsement yeah because i'm pretty sure mccoy tyner has a pretty good idea of a good drummer yeah i i don't know how but something tells me he does yeah. So, folks, there you have it. Alphonse Muzan, RIP, and also a drummer to listen to for some material you may not be as familiar with. So, John, Happy New Year, buddy. Thank you, my friend. We're going to leave these folks with a little Al Muzan today instead of our good. customary Sammy Davis Jr. outro. Although you never know, he might have played on that. <laughs> yeah. For what it's worth, I'm ready for a change. You got it. All right. Love you, Sammy. Yeah. Again, thanks for listening to us this week, uh, guys. We really appreciate it. We're not... We're not too proud to beg. We want you to swing by iTunes when you get a few minutes. Leave us a review. Five stars, por favor, if you would. Leave a couple of quick sentences. It helps us move up in the rankings a little bit. It helps us get a little bit of a wider audience. So, all right, guys. Again, thanks for listening. A new show every Monday. We're going to bring it to you. Happy 2017 to everyone. Stay on the lookout. Got new stuff coming up in the very near future. Until then, we'll see you next Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.